Welcome to The Art of Listening, a podcast about classical music, conducting, composition, the business of music, and how to listen to it all. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and with me each and every week is Gabriel Gordon. Gabe, how are you today? Welcome to the program. Doing great. Really looking forward to concerts coming back. It is certainly nice. I saw you a couple weeks ago doing a live show out there with the Ogden Camerata, and you just got done doing a fantastic week. Talk to us about what it's like to be a conductor in this time as everything is starting to open up. It's really amazing. You know, the 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 things that are just opening up were were we were able to have a wonderful week with the Ogden Camerata Summer Music Festival, uh, performed at the Ogden Arts Festival. I was able to perform actually twice um, at that festival, once with the Ogden Camerata and the other with uh, with my violin and doing my solo concert. Uh, and uh, just in just a couple of months, I'm preparing to uh, conduct Mendelssohn's Incidental Music to Midsummer Night's Dream with Next Ensemble. It's going to be awesome. That is amazing. You know, recently I was able to go to my own first concert here. I took the family out onto the hill. Uh, yeah. They had an outside concert venue. They played some great Vivaldi and Bach and had an amazing soloist. And, you know, it it did bring back memories of what life used to look like. But uh, today we're going to be talking yeah. about other things that happen outside. Today we're going to be talking about weddings, something that you and I are both familiar with as musicians. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this is wedding month here at the Art of Listening, and uh, it's really uh, lots of lots of people are starting to pick up where they left off. There are a lot of people who delayed their wedding over the last year who are now, you know, able to get together with their family and friends. And so we're going to be talking about um, all those famous wedding processionals, right? Absolutely. I remember going to a wedding and I sat, thought to myself, you know, what is this song? You know, I've heard this song. I didn't know what was going on. What is a processional? All these different things. And then as I got into, you know, doing gigging and as quartets, I realized that there are a standard uh, number of, of tunes that we're going to discuss today that, you know, most people decide to walk down the aisle to. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. Do you know the history of some of these songs, though? Like, why did... Mendelssohn become famous for this? Why did Wagner become famous for that? Why did Pachelbel happen to be the tune? If you guys have a favorite wedding song, we would love to hear you guys. You can check out everything over on the Art of Listening's website at gabrielgordon.net. You can check out this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, all the great stuff. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. And Gabe, the first song here is probably the most famous one, the Dun Dun Da -da. that's right but that's what is that song well you know what um great german composer uh wagner wrote that um and it it is in fact originally a bridal march um that's one of the things that you know we you know we can talk about a little bit actually what what makes a good processional why is it that you know say you were just talking about mendelssohn uh, you know, bum, bum, ba -dee -dum, bum, bum, bum. we'll talk about the recessionals, you know, some other time. Why, why is that not uh, processional? Well, just in general, processionals are a little bit more stately. Uh, they have like a more March-like quality. And uh, Wagner was <laughs> very, very stately in almost all of his marches. 
this one, a uh, big surprise, comes from uh, an opera that Wagner wrote. Wagner wrote almost exclusively operas, and it's from one of his earlier ones. It's uh, from the opera Lohengrin. Lohengrin is the title character, and he gets married uh, to a woman named Elsa. And after, after the wedding, they have a stately march uh, with a chorus, and they have a whole, a whole bunch of words that you know, are not here comes the bride. Um, and uh, it was premiered in 1850. And uh, the great pianist uh, and conductor and composer Franz Liszt uh, was conducting uh, that particular premiere. And it, you know, even though it was for a wedding in the opera, it really didn't become famous until like about 30 years later. Uh, when uh, the English Princess Royal, the, the Princess Royal is generally the sister to the, the Queen. Her, this, this particular Princess Royal in England, her name was Victoria, uh, not the Queen, but she married the King Frederick of Prussia in the 1880s. And everybody said, hey, that's a great, a great uh, processional for for weddings in general and everybody wanted to be like this royal wedding so that's where the that particular bridal march comes from it really is amazing right um lohengrin is a three hour opera and right. this tune is uh kind of put in the beginning i believe if you would of act three yeah um which is great that means people were were still awake and <laughs> making sure that somebody in that in that audience had Maybe. to have said I want to walk down the aisle to that. And little did they know that if just a few years later, you know, Bugs Bunny would make it just as equally famous with all of these different things. That's right. Um, I'm curious, as a player, you've probably played this tune hundreds of times. Yeah. What makes it difficult, easy, special? I mean, you're taking an opera that has all the instruments. You're talking chorus, all that stuff. And you need to make that experience be what the bride wants with um, a string quartet. Well, maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe even yourself if you're the soloist, right? Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the tune is so familiar; you really could just play it on on one instrument, uh, you know, uh, one violin uh, just by itself. Uh, but it's you know better when Wagner's chords are you know represented there. Um, it works really well on organ. Uh, it works well for string quartet, but it's got to be, you know, written in, you know, uh, it's got to be a good arrangement for string quartet. And you really have to, uh, the arrangement has to be good and you have to really get all of the, you know, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term, pomp and circumstance of the, of of the opera in there uh as well as the idea that there is a chorus that's also singing here for for Lohengrin uh you know it was a really big deal and that's probably why uh it became a part of the royal wedding they actually did the original with the chorus and the full orchestra um at the royal wedding so getting all of that stuff into you know just four people playing that's probably the hardest part about it 
You know, I love the fact that these tunes are timeless. They're classics. They could be played on string quartet solo. I even saw a kazoo uh, orchestra on. Uh, can you have an ensemble of kazoo? Um, I, I don't think I don't think it would have the you know the same level of you know portent there. But uh, yeah, you could do that absolutely. Side note: Is it kazoos or is kazoo plural, just like fish and deer? I I don't know. Do you have many kazoo? Look that up. Okay, we'll look that up. Now, the second one here, um, a little lesser known, but I would say equally as important. I've certainly played this one dozens of times at weddings myself. The trumpet voluntary. Uh, talk to us a little bit about this and, and why is it voluntary? Well, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So it's voluntary uh, because it's not for trumpet. It's uh, it's actually for organ. When you do a, a an, an anything voluntary, uh, this was traditionally what was used as an organ stop. You could do a violin voluntary. You could do an oboe voluntary. You could do lots of different kinds of voluntaries where, you know, you take the stop off the organ and, uh, you know, make it the instrument of choice. So um, actually not written for trumpet, but written for organ. And as well, uh, it was... A lot of people thought that it was written by an English composer named Henry Purcell, uh, who was more famous than the real composer. Um, Henry Purcell uh, was was a great English composer, but it was actually composed by Jeremiah Clark, who was a contemporary of Purcell and was also, guess what, an organist uh, in London. And uh, so a lot of people expect when, you know, okay, I want to do trumpet voluntary, you expect a trumpet to play for it. Well, no, it was actually um, just written for organ and any set of instruments could be playing it. I'm doing a Google search here, and if you just type in trumpet voluntary Purcell, it just goes on and on with everybody who's been doing a search for the wrong composer. Right, right. Pretty interesting. And by the way, it's, it, it is kazoos with an S. Oh, um, all right. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> Google. So we have Wagner, the Bridal March from Lohengrin, Trumpet Voluntary. And I would say another one here is one that's, again, equally as popular. We've done it all over the place. Uh, the Handel's Air from Water Music. Right. Now, it's funny because, you know, if you look up on Google, people uh, tend to uh, also want to use the water, uh, the hornpipe, which is a much faster, much uh, more, you know, jovial, less stately uh, piece. Hornpipe is is generally used as a recessional. The the more upbeat piece is going to be used as a recessional. But um, uh, people like to use the air because it's very stately. Um, and this was written by George Frederick Handel. Um, who also happened to write uh, another great piece you may have heard of, The Messiah, um, and uh, as well as the Hallelujah Chorus, which I've actually played that piece as a recessional on occasion, uh, The Messiah. But uh, the uh, the air is this wonderful stately theme, ba dee da dee dum. You know something good that you can march to and and you know just walk in 
uh, you know, with with a sense of importance. And uh, this was um, from, as we said, his water music. And a lot of people, you know, sometimes ask, you know, what, why is it called the water music? Well, because Haydn wrote it for uh, his king at the time, his king ordered uh, that uh, he was going to have a party on a boat. And so the king actually arranged for a huge barge with a gigantic orchestra. A lot of people think that Handel only used like, you know, small forces with, uh, you know, strings only and, you know, you know, your typical Baroque orchestra. No, this king liked huge forces and he built a barge for the musicians specifically to play this music um, over the water so that the king could hear it being performed on the water. And so Handel had to have a huge, gigantic orchestra just so you could hear the piece <laughs> in, in the open air. And it had something like, I, you know, I, I think it was like eight, eight horns and, and huge woodwinds and uh, gigantic strings. And so this air was played um, as loud as could humanly be made possible uh, just so the king could hear it over the water. And that's was that called water music? Yeah. Was that the story where the where the barge caught on fire, or was that? Am I confusing that with the actual fireworks? No, no, that's that that's the royal fireworks. That's the royal yeah. fireworks. Okay, <laughs> that's the music from the royal fireworks. And I don't think the the boat didn't didn't catch fire. Actually, it was it was the dock that actually caught caught fire there. But yeah, that's that's a whole nother story. Kind of a crazy king at the time. Now, the one thing about doing the water music air that always gets me is when people don't play it the right way, as you said, da, 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 which is really what it's a dotted eighth and 16th, not a triplet. Right, right. Which basically means you want all of your brides to, I would assume, shuffle down the road. Exactly. If you don't, if, if, if you don't play it with the 16th note, it it that's when it gets really really boring you know all, all of this technical stuff that we we you know sometimes talk about on the program it becomes really really important it's not just a, a detail that the composer left for us but when you don't do this stuff that's when it becomes boring that's when you fall asleep in the third act of of wagner so you know it, that, that's really when you fall asleep like exactly you know if if you play it like a triplet then you know yeah it's like oh okay water music again no if if you play it as a 16th note then that snaps up the the rhythm and actually makes the piece instru more interesting I I couldn't agree more. I've seen triplets play, and when they're not doing the the right way, things just get crazy and crazy and crazy. Oh, now, I think you're talking about your triplets. I'm talking about my triplets, of course. Yes, um, the the, the seven year old that I have running around the house. Now, the yeah. next one here, um, I got to tell you, and I don't want to to lower the expectations of our audience, but I've always been curious at the origin of the title. What's our next piece here that brides like to walk down to? So it's it, Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring, and uh, it's it's actually from a, a cantata uh, who's, it, you know, a, sorry, a cantata by uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, and Bach wrote over 300 cantatas. I think it's something like 340 
of them. And I, you know, this this had a German name who's actually name the name I can't remember. It's not Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring. Um, it is talking about uh, Jesus and, you know, does include uh, those words in it. Um, but that's what it became known as um, over the years. Uh, it actually begins and ends the cantata that Bach wrote in 1723 um, and uh, was meant to be actually played pretty quick. If you go to my YouTube channel, you'll hear it at its proper Baroque tempo, which is generally done much faster. But people, again, like to walk in in a stately tempo. Uh, so it's it's actually used as a processional uh, for for weddings and so is played much slower uh than it was originally intended but it you know it's perfectly fine and it's beautiful bach like i said wrote a lot of these cantatas and he didn't really know or or care that much about the instrumentation uh because he literally would wake up run across the street to where the church was and come in and say okay Who's coming in today? Uh, you know, Sam with the bassoon and George, you know, with the violin and and so on and so forth. It's like, okay. And then he would go back and actually write the cantata at that moment, that morning, uh, and then come back and hand them the music just as, you know, the ink was still drying, basically, and then teach it to the chorus and teach it to the musicians. And then they would perform it that same day. Uh, so... You know, it was it was it was just another cantata until people started, you know, using it for weddings. It became very, very famous and uh, and popular and uh, it can really be played in any instrumentation. Interesting that all the pieces that we've talked about so far are not necessarily, maybe the first one, not necessarily wedding pieces. They've got many, many uses. I mean, this one right. here is great for weddings. It's also good for Christmas. It's also good for Easter. You can enjoy it on your uh, on your Apple speakers in your house. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And and the, the last one here that we're going to talk about probably – you know, it's it, it it's the it's the piece, right? Like it's the one that everybody wants. It's the one that everybody knows. Right. It's 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 the one that every cello player out there has that multiple idea of. Like I have to play it. I'm gonna play it again. But it is the one that makes us the most money. What well, is that I, last piece that we have to bring into this conversation? Yeah, I mean, it's Pachelbel's Cannon, and uh, pretty much. Uh, the bane of every cellist's existence. The cellist gets to play eight notes over and over, and uh, and yeah, it's it's the one most people want for their processional. It's a beautiful piece of music, um, and uh, I actually enjoy playing it every single time. I think it's the the reason why so many people like it i think is because of how simple it really is and and how um how stately it is for you know for walking in on it's just beautiful beautiful music uh for you to walk in on and really cements the memory of 
uh, this amazing moment in in your life. Um, it, it, the the really interesting part to it is that it was written a long time ago. It was written. No, nobody knows when exactly it was written. There's no original. Uh, you know, obviously, no original performance of it. It wasn't documented anywhere, and there's no original music for it. Um, it was written anywhere between 1680 and 1700. Pachelbel um, was a uh, a generation before Bach, uh, and he actually knew Bach's father and uh, Bach's older brother uh, studied with Pachelbel. And uh, there's there's a story, though not not people are not really sure if this actually happened. But uh, there's a story that when Bach's older brother got married, um, he asked Pachelbel to come. And it's, it's entirely possible that this canon was performed at that wedding. But it's not the source of why everybody does it, you know, for weddings uh, anymore. Um, but uh, there is the possibility that, I mean, Bach was alive at that time and uh, you could see it's kind of cool, uh, you know, for us classical music geeks to, to think about that Pachelbel and a very young Bach may have met um, at that time. And uh, it then went into relative obscurity, you know, you know, possibly being played every so often. It probably was being played every so often because there was still music occurring. Uh, there was still music that existed um, in the 1960s when a, uh, a, a conductor of a French orchestra, his name was Jean-Francois Pellard, um, made a recording of it. And again, what he did with it was he made it much slower than your typical Baroque tempo. And he made it much more romantic and gave it, you know, full string orchestra treatment for it. And for whatever reason, it went what's the equivalent of viral uh, at the at the time. And everybody just started eating up these albums. You know what? <laughs> how people bought music at the time was they would they would buy these record albums, and they just started buying these albums in droves. And it's what led to um, the Robert Redford uh, putting it as his main theme music for the movie Ordinary People in 1980. And from there, it became the most famous piece uh, for weddings. And uh, ever since then, we've been performing it for, you know, I don't know, I would say about 80% of the weddings that I've ever played um, has Pachelbel Cannon in it somewhere. And what's the irony of the entire piece, Gabe? What is the one thing that is just so ironic about the most popular piece probably next to Beethoven's Ninth? I don't know. You tell me. It's not a cannon. It's not a cannon. It's a ground base. It is a ground base. It's, it's true. A, it's not yeah. a cannon. It's only a cannon of every single, you know, a cannon would be row, row, row your boat and row, row, row your boat. and row. But because that cello player has the same eight notes over and over again, 
it is technically a ground bass. I actually remember that on one of my music history exams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because you know we you know we like to you know parse these 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 terms and and yeah, I mean. Uh, I, you know, I guess Pachelbel himself called it canon. And there's a there's actually a dance after after it called the G mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that is very often not performed, which is wonderful. Uh, it's it's a it's a great piece, um, and it, you know it's really short and twenty seven uh, measures, and you do it three times each. It's it's wonderful. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, technically, it's it's not a strict uh canon uh you know per se it's you know it's got that ground base uh and you know that actually allows uh Pachelbel, allowed Pachelbel to be able to do different things um with the stuff that was occurring uh, above that ground base uh which actually makes it a little bit more interesting than just a straight canon that's for sure so those are our recommendations. Oh, not really recommendations, but those are our uh, five famous, um, you know, really wedding recessionals. Of course, there's more. If you guys have any out there that you like, leave a comment below and would love to have you guys be a part of this. And don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. And Gabe, um, on, on the next episodes coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about the recessionals. What do you say as you're running away, as you're walking away, as you <laughs> and your loved one are fleeing the... What kind of things are we looking at on on the recessionals uh, episode coming up soon? I was I was I was gonna hand you a shovel, but you know I just you know giving you giving yeah, you some totally time. yeah <laughs> um, uh, yeah we're gonna talk about uh, the five recessionals uh, Mendelssohn's among them uh, amongst you know some other of your favorite tunes there. And of course, I'm sure that some uh, of your favorite tunes are going to be in there. Don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. This is The Art of Listening. You can find out more information over at gabrielgordon.net. And don't forget to share this with your friends. This is the podcast for music, music business, how to listen to it all, talking about composers, conductors, and everything. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and with me as always is Gabriel Gordon. And on behalf of everybody here on The Art of Listening, enjoy the music. Enjoy the music.